developing a discerning spirit. A couple of weeks ago, my sister contacted me, and she said, by text message, she said, I think I'm in trouble. I need your help. And I thought, well, what's that going to be? Melissa saw the text message. She's like, let me know what your sister says. Well, anyway, she calls me up, and she says, did you guys subpoena me for a hearing somewhere in Hamilton County? And I said, no, I don't even know where Hamilton County is. And she said, well, there's a sheriff from Hamilton County that's telling me I'm being held in contempt of court right now because I missed a hearing. And I said, that's a scam. And she said, I know, I told the sheriff, I told the deputy that called me, this sounds like a scam. And he gave me a callback number and told me to go down to the sheriff's office in Lubbock, which is where she lives. And I said, I still think that's a scam. Call Hamilton County Sheriff's Department and ask if, if there's a warrant out for your arrest or if you're being held in contempt of court. Well, of course, she called them and they said, no, this is absolutely a scam. But the guy was pretty believable. You know, he gave her a callback number and then he had a message on the callback number. And so she gave that number to the Hamilton County Sheriff's Department. And they said, we're very interested in contacting him for impersonating a law enforcement officer, but you're not in trouble. Uh, so there, just scams like that are all over the internet, aren't they? There was a, there's, there's a scam going around with preachers I've told you about before that's similar is uh, what they'll do, and this happened to a couple of members in our church, is that they will contact you via text message, the, uh, the, the, the thieves. They'll contact you and say, this is P uh, Pastor Edgington. Now, right there, you should know, nobody calls me Pastor Edgington, right? So th it's, the message says something like this. This is Pastor Edgington. I'm in an all-night prayer meeting, so don't contact me by phone, but I need you to go to Walgreens and buy five $100 Apple gift cards, and go ahead and buy one for yourself too, and I'll pay you back. Give me those gift cards because I want to bless the staff with a gift. So first off, you know your pastor's not spiritual enough to pray all night, all right? <laughs> Secondly, I'm not that generous, all right? But... Uh, but that, that, that scam's going around, and then, of course, you give them the numbers to the Apple card, and they take off with the, with the money, buy whatever they want on Apple. And that's a scam that a lot of pastors uh, are having to tell their people, don't fall for that. But isn't it sad that there's, there's scammers uh, like that out there? Uh, there's somebody trying to deceive someone. And at first blush, you know, uh, you just think, well, here's a sheriff, or here's, here's the pastor texting me, and he's using my name and his name. And it seems like it could be legitimate, but... Uh, the reason that we probably give more credence to those things than we should is because we don't just assume that people are out trying to lie to us or harm us or to deceive us. But if you pull back and consider all the facts, it just doesn't add up. Well, we're in our text today in this part of 2 Corinthians, in the latter part of the letter, and Paul is using a harsher tone with these Corinthians in this church because they're being influenced away from respecting his authority as an apostle by false teachers, by these super apostles that he calls them. Well, these guys are scammers, and they're taking advantage, and they're deceiving, and they're pulling them away from the truth. So remember in, in uh, chapter 10, Paul said, uh, hey, you need to, y'all need to take care, you need to clean house and take care of these people that are leading the church astray. Remember, that was the sermon where I said, basically, Paul, in this section of Scripture, is saying, don't make me pull the car over. You guys need to fix the, the issues that you're having in your own congregation. And then um, when I get there, if everything's in order, everything will be fine. But don't make me come down there and have to discipline everybody because you guys are believing lies and listening to false teachers. And then in Chris's message last week, uh, did, Chris did a great job uh, preaching 
Uh, we were able to listen to that on the way back from a mother's uh, church service. We were able to go with her, and that was a very nice service also. And Chris was explaining the idea of commendation. He was saying these false teachers that are in the Corinthians' midst, they are commending themselves, but Paul and his team, he said, were commended by God. He's saying our authority comes from God, not from ourselves. And so now he continues here in chapter 11, and of course, it feels, these chapters feel very similar. It's one of these subjects where you just want to throw your hands up in the air as you preach through it or probably as you listen as well and say, why are we covering the same theme over and over again about not believing lies and not believing false teachers? And the answer is because the Bible needs to tell us over and over again not to believe these things because we're prone to believe them. If it wasn't necessary for us to hear this over and over again, the Lord wouldn't have put it in there to be repeated and expounded on. So here's the big idea for verses 1 through 15 of chapter 11. Mature believers develop a discerning spirit. Mature believers develop a discerning spirit. Discernment, the ability to tell truth from a lie, right from wrong, the ability to make a good choice. That's what discernment is. So we can break up the passage in, uh, in these three sections. Uh, verses 1 through 4, Paul's concern Verses 5 through 11, Paul's contention. And verses 12 through 15 is Paul's commission. So I was really proud of myself for coming up with that. Uh, let's talk, number one, about, about Paul's concern. Paul's concern for the Corinthians is you put up with nonsense. His concern is that they put up with nonsense. And look how he uses words to show he's concerned. He says in verse 11, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Please bear with me. For I feel, these are his feelings here, I, defeal, I feel a divine jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband, Paul says, I came in and planted the church. I'm the one that, that taught you about Jesus. And I'm jealous now for you because I want to present you to Christ as a pure virgin uh, to Christ. That's the heart of a pastor. That's the heart of the shepherd. That's the heart of the apostle. That's the heart of a husband who's discipling his wife. And as they disciple their children, that's the parent's heart, is the idea to present these people that you're discipling as Paul wants to present this church to Christ and say, this is my life's work, to present this church to you, to present my bride to you, to present my children to you as mature believers. That was Paul's motivation. But the Corinthians weren't being a faithful wife. Notice his fear in verse 3. I'm afraid, he says, that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, speaking of Genesis 3 there, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, he says, you put up with it readily enough. When these false teachers come in and they sell you a bill of goods, you put up with it. You don't put them out of your church. You don't call it out for what it is. You put up with it. Do we put up with it? There's some diagnostic questions that arise from these verses. Am I being deceived? Is it possible that we're believing lies? Or rather, we probably are, so we should just ask the question, where am I being deceived? You know, the devil is a cunning liar. The devil hates you. 
The devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. And he does it by lying to you and getting you to believe lies like those internet scammers. Well, how can I tell where I'm being deceived? How can I tell if I am being misled? Is your devotion to Christ, as he says here, sincere and pure? Or is it fake and polluted? And when you look at those things that are polluting your faith, that's probably where you're believing the lies. Sincere, he says. The meaning of that word is simple. Paul says, I want to present you to Christ with a simple faith. And the idea there in the Greek is the idea of, of, uh, you could think of a napkin or a blanket or something unfolded. You know, it's not complicated with a bunch of folds, and it's not origami, but it's just a simple piece of paper. It's a simple unfolded cloth where you can see everything at once. It's just simple. What you see is what you get. Do you have a faith like that? And then purity. Uh, Purity, we had a good example of purity today in our Sunday school lesson for uh, Explore the Bible. When Mary came and she had a pound of that pure nard, that means it was unpolluted. That means it had integrity. Any part of that nard was just as pure as all the other parts of that nard, that perfume and the ointment that she poured on the feet of Jesus. Paul says he wants to present the Corinthians with a sincere, a simple, and a, a, a pure faith, one that has integrity. That means you're the same everywhere you are. You don't value one set of things at work and another set of things at church and another set of things at home. And Paul questions their sincerity and he questions their purity because they are willing to accept false teaching and they're charmed by it. They want it to be true. And it should be obvious to them that this isn't the truth when it contradicts what Paul has taught them and by what they put up with. He says very, something very similar to the Galatians. He says, if somebody else comes and preaches a different gospel to you, let them be accursed. But they're not letting these false teachers be accursed. They're receiving them, and they're putting up with nonsense, and Paul is concerned. And we as Christians should be concerned also because we are prone to compromise, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. We wrestle with the authority and sovereignty of God. We actually want to wrestle it out of his hands. We want to call the shots. We want to be considered the wise ones. And maybe we get to a point where we hear the wisdom of God commanded to us in Scripture and we don't like the wisdom of God. We like our own way of doing things better. And so what we're telling God, whenever we decide to deliberately disobey him, we're saying, you're lying and I know what's best. That's where we are in our disobedience to Jesus Christ. We're finding ways to say that God's word really isn't God's word. And there's lots of ways that this creeps into the church and creeps into your heart. You listen to people on TV. You listen to people that are writing popular sermons. They're writing popular books. They're writing popular music. And they peddle you a prosperity gospel. Sometimes it's more obvious. They say, you give this much money, and God's going to give you this much money. And then other times it's like, if you'll do this, if you'll act this way, then God's going to do this for you. Almost like God is a slot machine or something like that. Or a genie in a bottle. And sometimes it comes in the form of Bad theology, where people say, oh, trust your feelings. Or sometimes it comes uh, in compromise, or we listen to the culture and we say, well, everybody thinks this is the right thing to do. But what about the plain Bible teaching? You know, right now you can look in all the churches, 
And there's controversy in the Methodist church, in the Anglican church, in the Baptist churches. For us in the Baptist church, there's a great controversy over the ordination of women as pastors. And let me say this, I've said it before up here, and I'm not ashamed to say this, is that um, we, we support women doing ministry. Let's be honest about this week. Uh, the women did tremendous ministry in this church. It was unbelievable. Uh, and so we are uh, not in any way denigrating the role of women in this church. But just because men are laying out in the churches and not stepping up and being leaders doesn't mean that the Bible's wrong when it says that the office of the pastor is reserved for men. And now we can go to other churches. We can talk about Methodist churches and Anglican churches. Going beyond that, even in these past weeks, and they're trying to determine, can we have a pastor who's a practicing homosexual? Can we have a pastor who's married to someone of the same sex? And can we, can, Anglicans are debating over whether they can conduct, whether they will conduct same-sex marriages or whether they'll just bless them. And it feels weird to talk about these things from the pulpit. This is really the conversations that churches are having. Because the culture's gone a certain way, and what has the church done? They've gone right along with it. Is that what salt and light is called to do? Or is salt and light called to give flavor and to bring light to the darkness and to tell the truth about what God's will is? This church, we've been here, uh, at least on this corner, for over 100 years. This church has been in this community longer than that, and we've always just believed the same things here. We believe what the Bible says about sin, about sex, about the role of men and women in ministry, about our need to repent, our, need, our absolute need to trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ and seek to be holy. But we have to go about doing that, proclaiming the truth and believing the truth with love and gentleness and hospitality and respect. And we don't expect people that don't believe um, the gospel and that don't agree with us, we don't expect everybody to believe the same things we believe. We're not trying to force our beliefs on anybody. But mature believers develop a discerning spirit. That means when we can look at God's word and we can tell what it says, and we can, and then whenever someone lies to us and tells us, oh, that's not what you have to, that's not the way, God will overlook this, God will, God's not upset about this or that, okay? Then we can say, no, no, God's word is still God's word. God's word is still the authority. God's word is still the truth. Even if it's unpopular, that doesn't mean that it's a lie. When, when Scripture plainly teaches something, you obey it. Is it hard to love your neighbor? Yes. <laughs> it's hard to love your neighbor. But, but does that mean that because it's hard, we don't do it? No. Is it hard in this culture to say, I believe in the traditional Christian sexual ethic? Yes, it's hard because it's, the rest of the culture doesn't agree with you. But that doesn't mean that it's wrong or that you change what you believe or that you change the way you read the Bible and the way the Bible's been read for 2,000 years just because people disagree with you. So we could just, you know, I'll just give an example here uh, of just fornication. I've always wanted to preach about fornication, so I'm going to do it. Uh, <laughs> So fornication, that's just voluntary sexual relations between two unmarried people. And in marriage, the Bible teaches it between a man and a woman for life. Now, we live in a culture 
that doesn't seem to think there's anything wrong with that sin, don't we? In fact, that sin is celebrated throughout our culture. We live in a culture that celebrates it, and when even the vice president says, well, I need to be careful. I don't want to give the appearance of impropriety. So the vice president, when Mike Pence was vice president, he just told everybody, I don't ride, I don't ride in a car with a woman alone, and I'm not in a room with a woman alone. And what did the, what did the world do? They laughed at him. They laughed at the fact that he was trying to protect his marriage, and he was trying to avoid the, even the appearance of sin, and he was mocked and ridiculed widely in the media. Well, is the Bible out of touch? Is the Bible wrong? Do we just need to get with the times? No. Sins are still sins no matter who's doing them. Sins are still sins no matter even if the culture says that's not a sin. If the Bible says it's a sin, it's still a sin. And it feels so dumb to have to get up here and say this from the pulpit. But I think sometimes we need to be reminded. What's the big deal, someone will say. Why are you making such a big deal out of it? Because sin hurts people. When you decide to go your own way, God's not telling you, hey, don't do this because he just wants to make you have a bad life. He's telling you, here's the best way to live. Here's the best way to live if you want to flourish, if you want to thrive. And if you go this other way, you're going to get hurt. And your sin's going to hurt you, and your sin's going to hurt other people. It's a way of God loving you to tell you the way to go. Just like you don't let your kids reach up and touch a hot stove. Why not? Because you're trying to make them have a bad time. Because they're looking at that stove and they're saying, man, that orange glow looks so good. Because you know it's going to hurt them. And so you pull their hand back and they cry. But eventually they're glad that they still have nerve endings on the end of their fingers. Right? And that goes for all areas where the culture has rejected biblical truth. Where Christians embrace a false doctrine, where we celebrate wrong ways of doing church, where there's poor leadership, or where people make politics an idol, whatever it is, if we will, if we will say to ourselves, hey, we're going to do what God's word says, and we're going de- to develop a discerning spirit to know right from wrong, that is the way of life. And we have to put a stake in the ground as a church, and we have to say, look, here's the truth in the Bible. This is the apostles' teaching. This is the word of God. This is the standard. This is the authority. And we have to filter it all through what we know is true, not our feelings or what's popular or what ignorant Christians are saying. The gospel is this. Jesus is Lord. That's the gospel. But when you say, yeah, Jesus is Lord, but he's not the Lord of this, and he's not the Lord of this, and the Lord of this, there's an old saying that says, Jesus is the Lord of all, or he's not the Lord at all. And so, are we sincere? Are we pure? Because one day, and I'm telling you this is a warning, because one day we're going to stand in front of Jesus. And we don't want to stand there having compromised on things that we knew were true. And say, oh, well, we weren't really sure what you meant there by the plain reading of the Scripture that told us not to do that. (laughs) Now, that goes for all these sins that we tend to pick on, you know? Like, it's pretty easy to get up here and talk about sexual sin, isn't it? That's 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 low-hanging fruit, isn't it? Because y'all probably aren't struggling with a lot of that. But what about not being charitable? What about not being loving? What about taking care of the poor? What about all the, you know... It's, it's got to be a full thing, right? You can't just pick on certain sins. It's the whole thing. 
Are we following Jesus? Is Jesus our Lord? Can we be like, as we saw that illustration in Sunday school today, can we be like Mary who took the most precious thing that she had, that ointment that was worth 300 days of work, nearly a year's worth of work, and just give it to Jesus? And she was worried about one thing in that moment. She was concerned about one thing, and that was showing Jesus his worth. And that looks like a lot of different things in our lives, doesn't it? Okay, for one, yeah, just, uh, I mean, there's lots of sins, the thou shalt nots, but there's a lot of thou shalts too, aren't there? There's a lot of things that we need to do that we're not doing. And that's Paul's concern for the Corinthians, that they would have a sincere and pure faith. Checking my time there, because I'm at point two, they're gonna go quickly. Secondly, Paul's contention. Paul says to them, I'm telling you guys, I'm the one who loves you, and I'm the one who's telling you the truth. Now, they didn't want to hear the truth, but Paul's argument was, I am the one who truly loves you enough to tell you the truth. He says, indeed, I consider I'm not in the least, this verse 5, I'm not in the least inferior to the super apostles, even if I'm unskilled in speaking. That was their accusation that Paul was not very impressive in person. He says, Any, he says I may not be a great speaker, but, I'm, but I'm, I'm unskilled in speaking, but I'm not so in knowledge. Indeed, he says, in every way we've made this plain to you in all things. Paul had plainly told them the truth, and they were abandoning it. And he said, or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? Verse 8, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. And then look what he says in verse 10. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the reasons of Achaia. He's still bragging on them. And why, he says, because I do not love you, God knows I do. God knows I love you. And so he was being criticized apparently for the fact that he didn't even draw a salary when he was with them in Corinth. And he says, Am I to blame because I humbled myself? Because I came in as nothing and now the false teachers say, oh, he's nothing. He didn't, y'all didn't even pay him. Don't listen to him. He wouldn't even take up an offering. He says, I was robbing other churches so I could minister to you, so I could tell you the truth, so I wouldn't be any burden, so nothing would get in the way, so you couldn't say, Paul just does this for the money. Paul says, I do all this. I do this because I love you. We're the ones who love you. He says, we're the ones who've made things plain to you. We're telling you the truth, not these false teachers in your midst. I like how Paul Washer says it when he preaches sometimes. He says, if I'm lying, woe is me. But if I'm telling the truth to you and you don't listen, woe is you. And so Paul's saying, make sure you're listening to me because I'm the one who really loves you and I'm the one who really cares for you and tells you the truth. That's his contention that he tells the truth because he loves. And then finally, Paul's commission. So we have Paul's uh, concern, his contention, and then his commission. He says, I'm gonna keep on doing what I'm doing to expose the servants of Satan. Look at verse 12. And I am doing, uh, excuse me, and what I am doing, I will continue to do. Paul's been called to a hard life. 
He's been, we'll study his sufferings uh, next week, but he says, what I'm doing, I'll continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim in, that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms we do. He says, I'm going to keep on discrediting these false teachers. I'm going to keep on undermining the claim of those who say they're just like us, that they're apostles just like us. He says, they're not like us. Look at verse 13. For such men are false apostles. They're deceitful workmen. They disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You know, we think of the, the caricature of Satan, you know, the horns and the pitchfork and all that. That's not how Satan comes and deceives us, is it? He comes and deceives us in a way that looks really good. It looks really enticing to us. And these teachers came in, and they had smooth tongues and great delivery. And here they were t telling everybody what they wanted to hear. The way they're described in the Bible is they, they tickle itching ears. They said exactly what the people wanted to hear. Well, they didn't like Paul's message. They didn't like to hear the truth. But Paul said, I'm, here's my commission, to keep doing what I'm doing. What is that when we think of our life that way? I'm going to keep doing what I was called to do at the very beginning. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. What is that called? Faithfulness and perseverance. Very good, Melissa. <laughs> Faithfulness. I will be faithful to do what I've called to do to undermine the work of Satan. He describes himself in verse 14. He says, an angel of light. And then verse 15, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. They will be destroyed. Sin destroys. False teachers destroy. Satan destroys. Those who side with the destroyer, he says there in verse 15, will also be destroyed. And so we want to be careful to develop, as we mature in Christ, a discerning spirit. And we hear there's just things coming at us all day long, different things. And gosh, living in the internet age, it's, it's hard uh, sometimes to discern right from wrong. And you hear this, and you hear this bit of news, and this bit of news, and fake news, and all these different sorts of things. But as a church, we have to continue to do what we've always done. We have to be faithful to Jesus Christ. We have to be faithful to what his word plainly and clearly teaches. Because when you abandon the word of God, your church will die. It's just what's going to happen. It's what happens to all churches that abandon the authority of the word of God. What do you, what do, you do? If you don't have authority, if your only authority is how you feel about things, well, your church isn't going to last long when that's the authority. So we stand on the authority of the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me, right? And we stand on the authority of the word of God. That's how we know what God's will for us is, is by obeying his word and obeying all of it. And I love Christy when she got up here and she said, we know we're sinners. We know we don't obey his word perfectly. But we're willing to admit that his word is perfect, even if we're not. Those who mature in Christ develop a discerning spirit. Those who will surrender their lives to Christ will begin to be able to discern God's will through the work of the Word, through the power of the Holy Spirit. They will become stable in what they believe, not like the double-minded man in James 
They will understand the call of Christ on their lives. They will appreciate more and more the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and what it means to be bought by his blood and saved by his gospel. They will see the word of God as the one sure and true thing that we have to hang on to that points us it's the only way we can really know who Jesus is. And then when we encounter lies, as Paul said in the, in the earlier chapter, we'll take them obedient, uh, take them captive to the obedience of Christ. Have you started on that journey of being able to develop a discerning spirit? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone? If not, do that today. Trust in Jesus. As West showed us today in his baptism, that he's trusting in the goodness of Jesus, not the goodness of himself. But when we start on that journey, we begin to follow Jesus. We begin to become like Jesus. We begin to trust that he's telling us the truth, and the way that we trust Jesus is we obey him. The way that we love Jesus is we love him and we love each other. We trust his word. We trust that he's telling us the truth. We trust that he will keep all of his promises. And then we live according to those promises.